Hey, gang, this week's episode is brought to you by the Arizona Office of Tourism. This spring, follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for Cactus League spring training. Amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventure, incredible food. Arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans. Plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. Yes, that's visitarizona.com slash spring training. And now here's our show. Oh, we hail from Rockford, Illinois, just across the line. We're not too young, we're not too old, in fact, we're in our prime. Oh, we hit the ball with might and main, and fielding we are fast. We are the Rockford Ball Club, we always dress in class, oh yes we are. Oh yes we are, the Rockford Baseball Team. These feminine phenoms play in the All-American Girls Baseball League, which keeps the turnstiles clicking in the loops eight Midwest cities. South Bend, Fort Wayne, Peoria, Rockford, Kenosha, Grand Rapids, and Kalamazoo. Look close, folks. This is not softball, but real Major League-type baseball, and managed by former Major League stars, such as Jimmy Fox. Jimmy Fox, too old to be drafted and long past his prime, found another job in baseball as a coach in the brand-new All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. The league was the creation of Philip Wrigley, the chewing gum king who owned the Cubs and who hoped to keep baseball alive in the small Midwestern cities that were losing their minor league teams to the war. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Well, now, how is it uh, going, everybody? My name is Tim Hanlon, and I appreciate your finding our little show, uh, which we, of course, call Good Seats Still Available. It's our curious little podcast journey each and every week, if you can believe it. Oh, my God. Into what used to be in professional sports. And we are pleased and privileged uh, to finally get a uh, an opportunity, an excuse to go back into uh, a curiosity that we've only barely scratched the surface of. Uh, and our guest this week, Anika Orak, will be our excuse to do so as we get into more of the incredible story of the incredible women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which just so happens to be the name of the new book by our guest this week, Anika Orak. Uh, it is available uh, from our friends at Chronicle Books. It is, uh, uh, depending on when you're listening to this episode, uh, it drops on March the 10th. Uh, we're dropping this episode, I believe, the week before that, on the 3rd. The Kindle version will be available on uh, an Amazon as of uh, this uh, this day, the 3rd of March, when we drop this little show. But uh, if you uh, want to get uh, a hard copy of this book, Pre-order it on Amazon.com, wherever you find good books, or of course, if you're listening from the 10th onward, it is available now. Don't don't uh, don't wait. Run. Don't walk uh, for a copy of this book. And and I I know I tout a lot of uh, all the great works that our 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 various guests have uh, have uh, peddled <laughs> over the years on this show, but this one I you know rises absolutely to the top and very quickly. It is called again the Incredible Women of the All American Girls Professional Baseball League. And, and Anika is uh, an artist and a graphic designer by trade, and it is it is in that form that this book is. It is it is historically accurate, it is meticulous in its in its research, but th- it doesn't uh, have sort of that chore sort of feeling to it, right? With, with most you know nonfiction 
uh, books of any kind, sports or history related or whatever. It is accessible to uh, audiences young and old alike. And I guarantee you will find uh, and you'll we'll have a whole bunch of sort of uh, examples of uh, of the design of this book on our website, of course, for this episode at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Just search up this episode with Anika and you will uh, you'll see you'll get a sense of what I'm talking about. And I, I can barely sort of convey just how how fun a read this is, how uh, historically accurate it is. And it's just it's it's a wonder to uh, to ingest. It's hardly reading. Uh, it is reading, of course. It's 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 chock full of uh, of great quotes uh, directly from the players uh, and the personnel that were involved. Whether it was uh, direct interviews that uh, Anika did, or through uh, uh, you know second or third party sources uh, through historical research. I mean, there's just uh, reenactments of of uh, players who were on TV shows like What's My Line in this book. There are uh, graphical depictions and recreations of various stories both positive and not so positive in this book. Uh, there are uh, maps and uh, uh, logos and sort of, you know, sort of graphical depictions of sort of what was going on at the time. Uh, there's, you know, the lead up uh, into the, you know, declaring World War, uh, America's uh, involvement in World War II, the sort of uh, uh, the starting gun, if you will, for this league uh, being born among other things. Uh, and just just fascinating, fascinating stuff. It, it, you, It's a delight to read. And I wouldn't even call it reading. It's just to, to enjoy, frankly. You know, it's graphical design. It's a, a little bit of sort of cartoon-like uh, presentation, but all of it extremely historically accurate. And uh, you will learn a whole bunch of stuff, and it, it will not feel like learning, I guarantee you. Uh, again, it's called The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls, excuse me, All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. I dare you to say it. <laughs> I, I think it, this has been the bane of every uh, uh, baseball fan and historical uh uh, pundit out there uh, to say the name of the uh, of this league uh, quickly without screwing it up. But I just did that now, didn't I? But the book, again, is called The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, or if you really want to get cute, the AAGPBL. There you go. Uh, that's the focus of our conversation with our guest this week, uh, Anika Orak. And it's it's uh, she's a tremendous interview. Uh, and the book is, uh, if not equally, if not more so, intriguing. And I, I, you know, again, I cannot stress enough how fun this book is and, and uh, a dynamite read. And uh, make sure you get yourself a copy uh, the minute you finish listening uh, to this episode. Coming up in just a couple of moments with Anika Orak. Uh, before we get there, of course, so we want to say a thank you to at least one of our sponsors. Uh, and this week we spin the dial and where does it land Yes, it's our friends at SportsHistoryCollectibles.com. Dean Mitchell and pals in San Diego, the proprietors of SportsHistoryCollectibles.com, where, of course, we've got a promo code for you. It's Good Seats. Good Seats. That's the promo code at SportsHistoryCollectibles.com for 15% off all of your purchases uh, when you go there early and often. And just about every league, every sport, every uh, remembrance in the realm of pro sports history, minor league Major League, uh, you name the sport. It goes from World Team Tennis to yeah, Major Indoor Lacrosse League to all kinds of baseball leagues, all kinds of football leagues, all kinds of soccer leagues, even Olympics and golf and tennis and all these other things. All of them, uh, it's a well-lit version, if you will, a more curated and uh, quality sort of setup of, of great stuff that, uh, you know, is is beyond sort of the pale, shall we say, uh, that you would normally find in sort of your you know, you're more sort of pedestrian places like eBay and that kind of stuff. 
Dean goes well out of his way, not only to curate great stuff available for you to purchase, but also he just goes uh, completely overboard in in photographing these things to make them come alive and 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 just they're just a wonder just to browse through even if you don't buy anything but once you start browsing you, you will get mesmerized by a, a bunch of things and if there's a team or a league or a sport or something from uh, from your past uh, that you're uh, you know you're intrigued by guess what you're probably going to get uh, lulled into uh, to making a purchase or two and when you do it's probably not a matter of if it's really kind of a matter of when uh, you want to make sure that when you go to sportshistorycollectibles.com, you use the promo code. And what is that promo code? One more time. Yep. Good seats. 15% off all of your purchases. Again, sportshistorycollectibles.com. Promo code. Good seats. 15% off. Thank you, Dean. And thank you, friends, for giving them a try. You will, as they say, not be disappointed. And hopefully you will not be disappointed in our coming conversation coming up in mere seconds now with our new pal, Anika Orak, as we talk about the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. It is a fascinating story. You all know that, but the book is equally uh, intriguing, and uh, I look forward to presenting this chat with you coming up right now. Well, so give our audience some background then on uh, perhaps what led you to to do this book. This is your first directly authored uh, book on your own, correct? It is, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've previously done a couple of little self-published uh, ventures just uh, of my baseball-inspired illustrations and art and cartoons, um, but this is definitely my first uh, real real deal. But you're, but you're <laughs> first in, author, in, but. in your Twitter profile, right? You you uh, self-proclaim yourself as a as a baseball nerd. So so maybe <laughs> in the most gentle and uh, and loving terms, uh, can you explain sort of? <laughs> So where does your love for the game of baseball sort of emanate from? And then, and then maybe a little bit about your professional life slash career and, and how the two have melded. And then we'll get into the specific story of, of, of this particular work. Sure. Well, uh, I, I will say, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what constitutes as a baseball nerd, but I think there are several factions or departments of that. Um, so let me be clear to anyone who might possibly approach me on the matter that I am in no way a numbers nerd, which is probably counterintuitive to any baseball fan. I couldn't tell you the numbers, the stats, the dates of just about anything. And um, I am somewhat up to date on baseball news, contemporary baseball news only out of interest. But as far as the nerdness goes, it definitely um, is all in baseball history and stories and um, just the legend and, and sort of uh, sentimental aspect, I guess you could say, or, you know, the, um, the parts that are, in, you know, involved in American history or that American history is made from, I guess. Um, but that all starts with my grandfather for me um, and my grandparents. I uh, my grandfather was a uh, a columnist, kind of a humor life storytelling columnist. So I guess the storytelling aspect comes from that. Uh, for 35 years, he wrote a daily column in the Bay Area, um, and he loved baseball. I think he played a bit in college, but um, I guess I also take after him in the fact that I'm not <laughs> very athletically inclined. So while I love baseball, I definitely um, – couldn't play much of it other than like at family picnics and things like that. Um, but, 
Yeah, and he uh, he was also a cartoonist at one point, um, so I guess I got my interest in that from him as well. Um, but I spent all my summers and a lot of weekends with my grandparents um, in California. My parents moved to Utah when I was a kid uh, because they both worked for the airlines. So I, I actually got to spend more time with my family in the Bay Area than with any family we had in Utah or, you know, just because my parents would put me on an airplane at five years old, I'd travel by myself and my grandparents would be waiting for me on the other end. And they were big baseball fans. They both moved to San Francisco um, right before the Giants came. Uh, and my grandfather actually grew up in Napa. So, and his father played and also managed. And I guess what would be the equivalent of a triple A team to the Pacific Coast League, uh, Vallejo uh, City Ball Club. So uh, it was always just in the blood, I guess, and particularly San Francisco baseball. And I, I grew up listening to games with them, and I loved baseball before. I think I really even knew what it was or th- understood the game anyway. I just um, I loved the sound of it. I loved being with my grandparents on the deck or in the den with the screen door open in the summer and I loved hearing them talk about it, even though sometimes, you know, my grandpa would be ranting and God, boy, you never walked the leadoff guy. What the hell? You know, and I never really knew what he was ranting about, but I just loved it. And, um, and then I finally, you know, as I got older, started to understand the game and the stories behind it. And I just, uh, it's just always been there, that love, I guess. Well, it almost sounds like a soundtrack of, uh, of a lot of your childhood in many respects. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm lucky. I, I think most fans ha- are endeared to their, uh, the announcer they grew up with. I, I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I'm very lucky in that the announcers I grew up hearing were Lon Simmons and Russ Hodges. And then um, right around the time that I started to really love baseball in general and understood it uh, was when John Miller came to town. And um, I mean, those are some of the greatest voices in baseball and greatest storytellers, you know, the ability kind of like Vince Scully too, the ability to tell a story, uh, interjecting story with the game and turning the whole game into a story sort of, um, and building excitement and making it exciting when it's not, (laughs) you know, all those things. Um, I, I kind of wonder if I would really love baseball as much as I do if, if they hadn't been calling the games because, they built stories in my mind and it, it kind of added to that whole aspect of baseball for me. Uh, so I feel very lucky in that sense. Well, certainly radio has always been this sort of uh, theater of the mind, right? And baseball is, is probably highest uh, order uh, of most uh, fledgling sportscasters uh, dreams because it is, uh, and we've talked to people like John Sterling and, and other people who have d- done multiple sports, Bob Carpenter, you know, when you're, Getting started, you'll take any gig, right? But but most, not all, but most, tend to want to elevate and get to sort of that promised land of, of baseball because it is, uh, it's long, it's more breathable uh, a sport. It allows for uh, storytelling. I mean, and arguably, you you had uh, some embarrassment of riches there in the, on the West Coast, right? Mm-hmm. Because people like mm-hmm. Ben Scully, people like Gil Hodges, people like John Miller, somebody we'd like to get on this show for some of his early pre-baseball exploits calling uh, uh, North American Soccer League stuff. But I, I digress. You know, some of that is, is uh-huh. almost, it's almost like lyrics, right? Uh, it's lyrical in, in what 
uh, these broadcasters, uh, in many respects, not only call, but have to kind of, shall we say, improvise during the during the, uh, shall we say, long uh, dead spots uh, when the game action can't carry it. Absolutely. Uh, well, I I'll, I'll I'll ask him if he'd be interested <laughs> in coming on the show, because I think he would like the subject matter that you that you talk about on this show. Um, oh, he may be embarrassed and, from some of his North American Soccer League stuff on the old uh, TVS television <laughs> network, but but we have the clips and uh, we'd, we'd certainly love to hear some of it uh, for sure. But 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 you know you could do you could do a whole lot worse than people like John Miller. Uh, oh yeah, enhancing your your understanding of the game because he still is today. Uh, he's frankly a modern day lyricist, I think, when it comes to calling baseball games, and very few like him. I agree wholeheartedly. He's a modern day lyricist in just about anything including, I will say, grocery lists. <laughs> I, um, I, there, you know, it's surreal to me. I, we don't even have to touch on this whole aspect of things, but I have since, and actually because of my grandfather, developed a great friendship with this man who was the voice of baseball when I really started to love it. And um, so it's really, you know, he can get into telling stories in any social situation. And I love the fact that his wife will be like, honey, come on, you know, cause he'll, he will, despite the fact that he calls games and tells stories all day long, he will still stand and tell you an hour's worth of great stories at the end of dinner. Or, you know, he, he, you, you could tell that he just loves it and everybody around him clearly loves it. I love it. I never get tired of it. Um, so it's really surreal when that voice is, you know, calling to tell you something about the day's game or, just leaving a message, just hearing that voice in my voicemail is like, even though it's a friend and I consider them to be kind of like family, it's this weird separation where just the voice detached from the human is still like this weird, it just brings all the feelings when I hear it. And I sent him a message one day and I don't remember the context of it, but I said something to be effective. You could read a grocery list and, and it would sound good or, you know, something to that effect. And I was busy working actually on this book, but I checked my messages later and there was a message that only that there was no introduction, no anything. It just started out with broccolini, <laughs> kombucha. You know, he just started reading his actual grocery list. It's like, oh, that's amazing. It really actually does sound pretty great. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that had a lot to do with my my interest in that aspect of baseball and everything around it. Well, as we've digressed into the John Miller uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Society, uh, <laughs> there's, actually, yeah. there's actually a reason here, though, because uh, he also he was the forward uh, writing of uh, your previous work that uh, I, I guess is sold out now. I guess you were talking about self-publishing. Maybe you quickly explain that uh, that work, because it, it does blend all of these topics that we've been talking about together. And then maybe we can use that as a segue to get into your current stuff that's uh, coming out. Well, sure. Yeah, I, I just um, that's actually a, a great segue only because it's it's how I came to discover my interest in the All-American Girls uh, stories and then how this book came about. Um, I uh, some people on Instagram and in different areas had been saying or, you know, had been kind of commenting like, hey, you should put your baseball illustrations into a book or you should do a book. And um, you know, I thought that was really nice, but really I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not going to create that work for myself. Um, but I also had been doing some work in the animation industry and there is an animation industry convention every November in Burbank. 
Uh, and I had committed myself to having a table, a vendor table where I would sell my art. And I, uh, it was coming up on that time. I was maybe a month or so out and I had nothing. I just thought I gotta have, I can't just stand there at an empty table with nothing. So I decided it would be a good thing to do to just throw all my, all of my baseball cartoons and illustrations, everything into a book format. And I did that and I printed, I don't remember how many I printed. I want to say maybe 400 to start and just figured I'd bring a hundred to the convention. And, um, and John was kind enough to write the forward for that. Um, because we had a shared appreciation also for Willard Mullen. And, um, so that kind of prompted, prompted that. And, um, uh, he was nice enough also to, he's kind of a prolific Instagrammer. So he posted it and that first print sold out. And then the next, I did several after, and, um, I probably would have even done more if I hadn't started working on this book, but in compiling the drawings to put together into that book and choosing, because I did a lot of drawing in the ballpark and, um, you know, drawings inspired by stories of baseball, but then also drawings at baseball games and things like that. And going through all of those drawings, it was probably, you know, it was a stack, I would say at least six or eight inches thick. And I'm just kind of going through one by one. And I just had this weird realization about two thirds of the way through this stack of drawings. And I don't know where it came from or why I realized it, but I just kind of thought, this is kind of weird. There are no drawings of women here. I, it's just drawing after drawing of men and then also athletes, athletic men, which no offense, but from an artistic standpoint is kind of boring. <laughs> you know, it's just like same angles and same, you know, um, the lines and the actions of baseball are very exciting, but um, apart from drawing other fans around me in the stands, which I also started doing because that's part of it for me. I just love the vignettes happening around me and little snippets of conversations. And, uh, and baseball is great for that too, because people are sitting still for a really long time. <laughs> so it's easy to draw people around you. But um, other than fellow women fans around me, that was it. And I, I just thought, it was kind of like, gosh, it's kind of weird. And I had had a few experiences also right before that with men and base. Like I was wearing a San Francisco SEALs jacket in San Francisco and an older gentleman asked, he said something to the effect of like, young lady, do you even know the significance of what you're wearing of that jacket? Do you even know what that is? Or are you just one of those, you know? And I was like, oh. <laughs> I felt so kind of caught off guard and, it, you know, had to kind of like jump to my own defense, but I was also kind of so surprised that I didn't really have an opportunity to do it. And then he got off the Muni car and it was like, oh, I just felt so deflated. Um, and that was just one thing that had kind of happened. So these things were sort of accumulating into this awareness. And I just thought there has, there's got to be great stories of women in baseball. Um, you know, that I just don't know about because we haven't existed as long as men and not had any participation whatsoever. I, and I love baseball. I'm sure people before me love baseball that, you know, so I, I just immediately went to like the only story that I really knew right off the bat, which is totally, well, it's not totally fictional, but it's a fictional rendition of 
the story of these women of the All-American Girls Baseball League, which is a league of their own, the film. So uh, I just kind of, I watched it, but then I kind of went into an internet rabbit hole (laughs) and came out with just gold. It was like, oh my God, some of these stories of these women, uh, one in particular who grew up in Chicago and she had these stories about shining Al Capone's shoes and playing baseball with the boys. And, and all, there were all these common threads in these stories of these women growing up playing primarily with boys in sand lots or back alleys and, and how they came to this league and then discovering each other um, that I kind of found myself relating to because I, growing up in Utah, um, I was already sort of a minority where we grew up because of the religious influence there. Um, and then, uh, other interests I had. So I really kind of just, I wasn't a tomboy. I wouldn't call myself a tomboy, but I was always more interested in the things that the boys were doing. And it was way more fun to me. And, um, I guess because of the religious influence there, um, there, I don't know if there still is, but there definitely was when I was growing up a real heavy emphasis on marriage and bearing children. (laughs) And it was happening uh, at a very early age for a lot of, a lot of women there get, I mean, that's a lot of my friends got married right out of high school. So um, that just was like, go, you know, I really like (laughs) pushed myself away from that. So the alternative of that was doing what a lot of guys around me were doing, which is snowboarding four wheel. You know, I did a lot of snowboarding, um, just, just fun things that had nothing to do with that. So I guess I, I never realized how much I identified, you know, I was starting to identify with these women. I never considered myself someone who really generally identified with women. And I sort of classified myself as that. And then as I started to identify with these stories of these women from long ago, I started to kind of realize like how important that was for them to be playing with other women and to have found that camaraderie and um, the relatability with each other, particularly at such an unlikely time. Um, And I just kind of started to wonder about myself and finding things about myself in these stories and realizing things about my own personal history and how all my heroes and influences were all men and, um, or not all, but I would say mostly. And so, yeah, it was just kind of a really cool opportunity for me to explore that. And I really dove in and I just, I just couldn't get enough of it. Well, and, and pioneers at that too, right? As you go, as you go back into it. Right? Yeah. So, and I, look, I think, I think, uh, you know, Penny Marshall, the late Penny Marshall and, and, and all the people involved in the production of, of a league of their own, obviously, I think, I think that is a, an on-ramp or an accessibility point for at least one, or if not more generations uh, about this league and this story to the point where, you know, I, I mean, it's also a statement on how entertainment, uh, you know, is kind of a, a news source or, or an education source <laughs> for people. But uh, irrespective of sort of that that commentary, the reality is that whatever it takes, frankly, and and it has been enlightening and and an eye opening for many people about this story. That frankly, a lot of people didn't even know about the fact that there was. Uh, a league for a number of years, not just in the war, but even after the after the period, that period of time, that was completely stocked with 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 women playing baseball, a an historically male dominated sport. Now, the reasons we'll get into maybe some of it in a, in a minute, but you know, but but it's interesting how that period of time for many people was lost, forgotten, 
And arguably, a lot of that sort of pioneering work and or endeavor gets lost to time as as baseball, as the 50s and 60s moved on, you know, reverted back to male chauvinism or whatever, dominance. We've talked a little bit about sort of the plight of women in baseball and being, quote unquote, relegated to softball and all that kind of stuff. But it's just interesting how your personal story, your your personal maturation, if you will, uh, and and the identity or identifying with this story, you know, I, and I'm a, I'm a guy, right? And worse, a, a, a middle aged white guy, right? So not a lot of you know, but but a sensitivity to other perspectives. And you know, growing up as a kid myself, playing baseball was just kind of one of those natural things that one did among you know other sports and, and pursuits and stuff. But you know, if you're if you're a woman, if you're a young lady, and you're interested in sports, you know, in many respects, you get shuffled off into these. Uh, quadrants of what you're allowed to do um, and mm-hmm. baseball still, but yet for a brief period of time, wasn't uh, an expectation. That's interesting to me because why can't it be again? And and why was it in the first place? And why couldn't it be one one more time at least? I'm stumbling yeah. through something there. <laughs> Help me find something in that stumbling. No. Well, what you said, I mean, you, you, you put it all precisely and, and insightfully that uh, that was the other sort of thing that I kind of stumbled into while writing this. I was so deeply involved in the stories of these women and the history and the fascination, just like you're describing of this. And also as it sort of unfolded my own awareness um, that it didn't really, uh, I'm embarrassed to say that question didn't really occur to me until I was well into my research and even starting to write of like, wait a minute, why the hell isn't, why did this stop in 1954 and never happen again? There are, there are some, uh, you know, some great experiments and attempts at things like this, like with the silver bullets and, you know, things like that. But, but this, I mean, they barnstormed and played against men's teams or co-ed teams. And, um, you know, that's, that's an incredible thing, but it's a different thing. And, you know, other, since Title IX passing, other women's sports have developed into women's sports. There's, you know, there's women's tennis and there's women, you know, uh, and they've all developed into, there are stars in those sports. There are leagues, there are youth leagues there. They have developed into their own thing. And um, it was really interesting because as I was researching all of this and, and I had, I had, done a bunch of interviews and um, resource archives and newspaper articles and all that. And I, my, my studio looked like, uh, like the mind of a total creep or like something out of Homeland because I'm super analog when it comes to organizing things. So I had literally these like slips of paper uh, with quotes and different things cut out and push pinned everywhere with like strings leading the things because I just needed to figure out how it was going to form into a narrative. And um, as I was doing this, I was, I came across an article about um, the, the women's world cup, like the, the international competition the women's world cup of baseball and team USA and how this competition was taking place in the United States for the very first time. Um, and I was like, well, this is a thing, you know, and I, I clicked on this article. And so it, it was really interesting because then I kind of started following Team USA and, and the 
the um, World Cup, but there was an article where a player was being interviewed and she was describing her experience as a baseball player and how every time she talks about it, and this is a sport that she's like invested so much of her life in and that she's playing on a professional level. It's not just like the thing she's trying, you know, and how every time she explains that to somebody, they say back to her, you mean softball? And she'd say, no, I play, I play baseball. And they'd be like, but you mean softball? Like, wait, you play softball though, right? Professionally. Or, you know, it was like this back and forth. And I read that part of that article right honest to God, like an hour after I had push pinned this piece of conversation on the wall that came from a player by the name of Pepper Pear Davis, who said that uh, they just, she, along with pretty much every other former player of the all American girls league, just stopped talking about it. They just never talked about it because the conversation that was like, people just didn't believe they either didn't believe them or her words were, they would say, you mean softball? And I would say, no, I mean baseball. And they'd say softball. And I'd say, no, baseball. And she's like, I just, I couldn't carry my scrapbooks around with me on my back. So I just stopped talking about it. But it was almost verbatim. But the woman, Malika, uh, this, this woman who plays for Team USA in the article was saying this in 2018. And, uh, and Pepper Pear was saying this about her experience in like the late fifties and early sixties. And it was just like, wait, why is this conversation still happening almost verbatim? And what con like, how can you explain the sort of arrested development of baseball? And, um, you know, like I said, I never really played. So part of me is like, who am I? <laughs> why, what, why am I an authority here? But I just was so curious. And I, that's when I decided there, there should be an afterword to this book about the all American girls, because um, it still matters. And there are still girls and women playing baseball and there are girls who want to play baseball. And these stories of these women are not just interesting and insightful and inspiring, but they're important for these people um, or for girls or women who want to do anything, whether it's athletic or otherwise, but just to know that it happened uh, in real life. And there, there's also a whole generation of girls who, I mean, it makes me feel so old to think that a league of their own is over 25 years old, but I've had the conversation with a lot of people, younger people and people my age where I try to explain to them, they say, what the book, what is the book about? And I try to tell them. And then I, I, they kind of get this blank look on their face and they say, well, you know, like, uh, have you seen the movie A League of Their Own? And so many of them retain that blank look on their face. Like, you know, or they say, oh, I've heard of it. Is that the one about the, you know? So um, I think it's a good time. It's a good time to talk about it <laughs> or share the stories again. Well, but it's also the, the manner in which you present it, right, is, is very uh, graphical and illustrative uh, uh, versus uh, uh, prose. Well, prose is in there, right? But it's not its not what one would normally expect to be sort of a traditional sort of nonfiction, uh, heavily footnoted uh, kind of thing, or nor is it a, a traditional uh, sort of oral history. We've seen a number of, of those there, and they're, they're still, uh, to their credit, a number of, of women who still uh, in their uh, 70s and 80s and even 90s uh, who are uh, still alive and kicking and and and. and uh, celebrated, frankly, in, in a lot of uh, major league and, and uh, other sporting uh, uh, environments. But 
it, I, I guess it's also a credit to the fact that that your skill set, right, being an, uh, an illustrator uh, and, and an artist, I guess, by trade, graphic design and all that, lends itself uh, very well to storytelling and, frankly, uh, gives maybe a whole sort of audience who wouldn't have the time or the wherewithal or the, I don't know, uh, uh, be able to pay attention, frankly, to to reading prose versus uh, a more, I guess, frankly, entertaining way to, if you will, educate on some history here, while also uh, maybe uh, uh, giving a little uh, alignment to uh, the current uh, uh, struggles, I guess, of women trying to play baseball and prove themselves uh, strangely that they have to. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, like you said, I guess it's just... um... I mean, it is uh, just my skill set naturally and how I, I do things and how I approach things. But, um, yeah, you know, it's it's tough because not everybody learns the same way or is interested in the same things or, or retains information or is interested in things for the same reasons. But I myself... Uh, I don't know. I was one of those kids that just, I learned so much better. I was so much more interested if there was a picture with it, <laughs> whatever the thing was, um, or I would make one. I, all my notes in high school were, you know, mostly drawn and not written. Um, but, you know, baseball itself and these stories and kind of going back in time, um, you know, you can do so much with words, but a lot of people just, like you said, don't have the patience for a lot of words or uh, can hold the interest. But baseball also is one of those things that when you really get into the clinical, uh, you know, detailed part, uh, you know, the academic aspect of baseball, you're entering into a whole new language that um, even people who love words don't really care to learn or know, or you're going to lose people real quick when you start going into the details of the game. Uh, even my, even myself, you know, I, I love that stuff and I'll get interested, but, um, you know, that's why I love writers like Roger Angel or, uh, Roger Kahn, who, you know, we know just passed away because they focused on that real, you know, the emotion, the sights, the smells, the sounds, the funny quips. So, um, those are the words that interested me and still interest me. Um, but even still, you know, if you read like the summer game, which I'm reading again right now, cause I just love it and it gets me excited for spring training, but, um, you know, even, even Roger Angel will go into some details of, of baseball that if you aren't a fan of baseball or you don't know about baseball, you're just going to drop off. Um, and I really just, the story is about so much more than baseball. It's bigger than baseball. It's bigger than just women's history. It's bigger than sports. Uh, it's bigger than art. It's bigger than, you know, um, I feel like I, it's so important that it's accessible to everyone um, and anyone. And, and that being said, not just the visuals, but also the, the sort of digestibility of it. You know, um, I love being able to pick up a book and open to any page and getting the gist of what it's about and maybe even laughing out loud for a minute or, you know, just being able to, to pick up a page and read a little bit and enjoy it. But then if I have to put it down, I can. And even though this book follows sort of a linear narrative from beginning to end of the league, um, I didn't want it to be one of those things that felt like work. Um, 
you know, I wanted to do all the work. <laughs> I don't want the reader to do the work. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and, and baseball itself is also um, can be very visual. There's a lot of exciting lines there. There's a lot of um, beautiful colors, uh, particularly in the forties and fifties. Um, so I, it was really fun to play with. There's a lot of beautiful typography and lettering and, and clothing. Oh my God. And the, the uniforms and the, you know, um, it's just so visually rich and that era particularly. So I don't know. I just felt like it'd be fun. And, you know, the, the entertaining medium, I mean, a league of their own is a great testament to that, that these women did not talk about it. Most people, even their own families did not know these women played baseball until Penny Marshall made a league of their own. A lot of people I've heard from a lot of people say, I didn't know my mother played professional baseball until she told us we were going to see the movie. And she said, like, I did that. That was me, you know? Um, and I think that's pretty incredible. But, you know, so what Penny Marshall did was basically gave life to a lot of these women and their legacy. But it's a Hollywood film and it had to be entertaining. And um, so you can see the power in that. However, uh, detail oriented or accurate it is, it, it's not completely historically accurate but it served a wonderful purpose. And I think that's more, I think that's the more important aspect of, of the whole story. All right, what's this? The Arizona Office of Tourism Spring Training. Oh my God. Hey, this spring, follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for Cactus League Spring Training. Amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventure, incredible food, Arizona. It's the perfect home base for baseball fans. Follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for Cactus League Spring Training. 10 stadiums, 15 Major League Baseball teams, and 75 degree temperatures. Ah, awesome. And all 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area, all within 50 miles of the city. Meet players, get autographs before the games, and just enjoy an old-fashioned ballpark experience in beautiful preseason weather down in Arizona. Check out amazing restaurants and bars nearby, including tons of craft breweries like Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, and Goldwater Brewing Company. Enjoy live music from local and national artists and explore museums featuring everything from native heritage to modern art to musical instruments from around the world and more. Arizona is known for its incredible landscapes too, as well as thrilling outdoor adventures. So hit the road and explore Arizona's urban centers or ghost towns or artsy communities or quirky outposts. You can hike, you can bike, you can take Jeep tours, hot air balloon rides, skydiving, jet skiing, or just taking in a good old-fashioned sunset. No matter what you love to do, Arizona has you covered. Check out must-see destinations from your bucket list like the Grand Canyon, Monument Valley, Horseshoe Bend, and even the great Old West City of Tucson. Bringing the kids along for spring training? Hey, Arizona's a fantastic destination for families, too. Family-friendly resorts and hotels offer plenty of fun for kids of all ages, from water parks to horseback rides to games and activities. Arizona also has tons of stuff for kids to do and see, like wildlife parks and science museums, aquariums, and even dude ranches. So what are you waiting for? Plan now for your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. That's visitarizona.com slash spring training. Hey, and don't forget, send us a postcard.
did you translate that then? Uh, obviously, you you're clearly uh, understand the Hollywood sort of uh, fantasy machine, right? But uh, but how do you how do you then get into creating this work that has you know that is accurate also but also entertaining, right? It, it, the reality is you you don't have as much creative license maybe in that story, especially as you learn more about it and recognize how important on many levels the story was beyond just a a movie, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think the there is a lot of freedom in illustration. So where where I stayed, you know, it just it had to be it had to be accurate. It had to be historic historically accurate and not uh, I, I couldn't inject opinion in any way. Um, you know, there are some difficult things to touch on in the overall story of the league, like racism and, um, and of course, sexism and misogyny. And a lot of the stories that the newspaper articles about these women, sometimes I'd come across them and just be like, Oh my God, <laughs> wow. I, you know, but yeah, there, um, there's some, there's some real hardships there, right? I mean, I don't, yeah. I, you don't sugarcoat it, even though it's in, in, in delightful, uh, illustrative form, right? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. these are it's part of the story. Yeah. And I didn't want to shy away from any of that. Um, it just didn't feel right. And I couldn't, it's, you know, it's an, it's an important part of the story. And there are a couple of things that, um, I would have loved to have touched on that I didn't shy away from out of, um, you know, because I was scared. It just wasn't, uh, it didn't fall in line or it wasn't pertinent to the way that I was presenting this story or truth or accuracy. There's a lot of things that are sort of left to interpretation or that weren't talked about. And I didn't want to go with those things. I just wanted to go with what has actually been said, what has actually been printed, what was actually played, how people actually reacted to it. Um, so there's that. And, and, you know, so we stayed, I guess if you just read the manuscript and you didn't see any of the illustrations, I feel like it would be pretty dry. And my initial manuscript was not really like that. And thank God for great editors who are like, you know, <laughs> we're, we don't need to, you know, we don't need to throw around like all these alliterative fun things because my illustration style is a lot more fun. And there's a lot of fun to be had too. There are a lot of hardships, but there there's also a lot of things that we can sort of laugh at or poke fun at, or just a lot of wonderful and often humorous uh, aspects and stories within the story. Um, so I, there's a lot of, I, I don't know about freedoms because I also wanted to be very historically accurate with the drawings. I wanted to make sure that um, the uniforms were accurate, the graphics, the, you know, um, down to even like as silly as it is the hair, um, you know, advertisements, things of the era. Um, I wasn't about to draw, like, I, I saw an illustrated book recently about a story in baseball and I won't, I won't tell or hint at what it was, but there was an illustration of a girl watching a baseball game on TV. Um, but the story took place, uh, like the age that she would have been was like the early forties. And I was just like, <laughs> Did anyone look into this? Like, it's not that big of a deal, but it's also, you know, like, who's going to notice that? But at the same time, I was like, no one was watching a baseball game nationally televised in 1941. You know, anyway, whatever. It's a minute detail. But I wanted to make sure those things were 
accurate, but then also there's so much room to have fun with visual interpretation of things and um, to take a part of a story and play with it visually. So I, I guess that's where the entertainment or the fun aspect was able to come in is just that you can do that with illustration. And, and it was really fun to just at certain points be like, wait a minute, this is my book. I can throw in a nod to my grandpa or my dad or my, you know, like I can throw in little Easter eggs to my family <laughs> in these drawings because it's my book and no, you know, it's not going to ruin anything. Um, so yeah, that part was really fun. So, I mean, what do you, what do you discover? I mean, the, the, the name of the, the book is you, you, you specifically say the incredible women of the all American girls professional baseball league. So, so clearly a lot of this is focused on not only their stories, plural, but their story collectively. What is it about these women? I, and maybe, and maybe as a, a, an aside uh, to an answer to that is why do you think that, that, uh, a lot of these women say when the movie came out or maybe even, even afterwards were so, I don't know, reluctant or, or modest maybe about having been in this league. Was it sort of the greatest generation thing? It was just kind of what you did and it was kind of like a war effort thing. And we were just, it's our little way of, or, or I mean, why such modesty and or, you know, reticence maybe to talk about all this and, and maybe how does that juxtapose maybe about sort of what, what is it about these women that was that was so amazingly special because uh, it's clearly that they were. Yeah, well, I, I think there's like a few components to that. I think um, one that is just kind of sort of uh, not exciting, but or obvious, but is there is that um, they didn't. I, I think a lot of them just didn't really consider the significance of what they did. They just they played baseball and they got paid for it, which was like a dream come true for for most if not all of them, um, at a time when women just didn't get to do that. And a lot of them made more money than their fathers even. You know, they made more money than they would have working in war factories. Um, and that was just sort of a dream come true, and then it ended. And um, they just kind of went on with their lives. And I don't know that any of them really sat down and thought, we were the first women to ever play in a professional women's baseball league. Um, I, and I think also because when the war came and went, you know, women played an entirely different role during the war. And then as soon as the war ended, it was kind of like, okay, everyone resume your positions, which didn't exactly happen because a lot of women had now been out of the home and sort of proved themselves either to others or to themselves and continue down that path. But um, in general, you know, there was like a big sort of, I guess, propagandized, if you will, push back into the home. You know, there was sitcoms and magazines and all, you know, the whole image we have of the 1950s housewife pushing the vacuum delightfully, you know, that was, that was the sort of the norm. And so I think um, there was also, again, like that whole disbelief issue. And then also, uh, I think a lot of self-consciousness because it wasn't, if you were to say in the late fifties that you played professional baseball as a woman, I don't know that many people would would react with like, oh, wow, that's amazing. It was sort of like a lot of them said there was this stereotype. Um, you know, there was a whole social lesbianism scare, which is hilarious and ridiculous, but with um, women going into the military to serve during World War II and then, and then beyond, um, you know, and so women athletes were sort of viewed and, and slandered as this sort of, you know, you must be like a, 
trash talking, tobacco spitting, truck driving, you know, um, just basically all the awful things about not being feminine in those days. And um, so I think there was a reluctance really to talk about it just because of the social norms at the time and the reactions to that. Um, even though, you know, there was nothing that they, you know, even though the league was sort of this ideal picture of femininity out of Wrigley's creation, um, because not that many people knew about it, it you couldn't, you know, it was like just, you, there was so much explaining to do that they just didn't. But I think that, you know, the movie came out at a time when, when people were realizing how incredible it was. Um, I also think I, mean, I think there also is, you know there's also just a, a mountain of double standards too, right? I mean, I, I'm sure as part of that either implied or or, or uh, obvious sexism, right? Things like uh, how frivolous is it for quote unquote women to be playing baseball when we're at a time of war and all that, and or or, or the you know the the charm school process and the, <laughs> you know, the and yeah. the, the restrictive lists of what ladies are are allowed or not allowed to wear i mean i you know i yet you could also take all of those seemingly negative you know overtones and and actually translate them into empowering things and 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 they are different and unique and and breakthrough and and they were contributing to war you know bonding and and distraction from they mean a lot of positives to all that stuff too it's just it just but it's also got to be very interesting to have been a, an actor in all of that to be on the field to be a chosen woman to play and and to it almost seems like it's got to be sort of a a tug of of emotions because you're doing things for various reasons on the positive side but also being maybe derided on on certain respects on the negative side so a very interesting sort of dynamic sort of seems to to come out of all of this. And I don't think that's obvious to most people who kind of know about this for the first time. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you touch on an interesting thing. Someone recently made a comment on, well, I don't know how recently it was, but they made a comment on an Instagram post of mine saying something to the effect of like, uh, it, it was women in, or there's a women in baseball week. That is the, like a social media thing that was, um, I believe instigated by the International Women's Baseball Center, but they made something, made a comment to um, to the fact that you know they couldn't, like there shouldn't be a Women in Baseball Week. It should just be acceptable all the time. And how can we celebrate this whole thing that forced women to play in skirts? And you know, um, and I, I understand what they were saying, but it was also like you know, that's the reason it worked at the time. You could not have a league of women playing hardball uh, in front of and, and get the support of not just a crowd, but a town, a city, um, you know, having radio broadcasts. I mean, it was tremendously popular for a lot of these people spending their entire days working in war factories, war production factories. And then the fact that it um, succeeded beyond the war was a testament to the success of it and the popularity of it. And it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been this sort of delightfully, whimsically feminine, you know, this picture of femininity. It just wouldn't have worked at the time. I mean, that wouldn't pass now. But if you consider this, the social standards and the social norms of the time, it had to happen. So it was either that or no women's baseball. And you kind of, you know, you kind of have to go with the fact that that's, 
part of what made it possible. Wearing lipstick on the field, that's part of what made it possible. And um, the other interesting side of that is that, you know, they, they went through all this and they kind of said, well, you know, it was either wear that skirt or go home. And I'm not going to go home if I get to play professional baseball. But like I said, these women were making um, real great salaries. They were making more money than uh, minor league men's baseball teams were making. And they had these insanely rigorous schedules where they're playing uh, you know, five, six games a week and a doubleheader. So they basically had one day off a week um, and they're traveling by bus, they're traveling all night and then playing a doubleheader the next day. I mean, they just had these insane uh, playing schedules. So they never had time to spend the money they were making. And a lot of them would either put it in savings or send it home um, to be put aside. And that money gave this whole you know, I, I think the league, they said um, over the course of its, uh, from 1943 to 1954, there were a little over 600 women that played in that span of time. So you think over 600 women had, ex, you know, travel experience, um, experience away from home. They went all over the country, Canada, a lot of them went to Cuba. Um, and then they had money that women at the time weren't making and they were able to squirrel it away. So this whole group of women had access to higher education and things that most women at the time didn't even have access to. So it perpetuated beyond the baseball. And there's this whole, you know, um, league of women that not only played professional sports, but then went on to do things that were like so unlikely for women at the time. One woman became Canada's first female sportscaster, uh, broadcaster. Um, a lot of them went on to coach and then passed that knowledge along to other young girls or, um, you know, become first CEOs or engineers or doctors or, you know, things that just were not uh, common that women didn't have access to. So I think that's another pretty incredible ripple effect of the whole thing that just kind of perpetuated, you know. Just pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and I think aside from, say, the standout individual female athletes, say, even before this time, say, like the Babe Diedrichsons of the world, you know, this is, you know, I I think through the historical lens, right, this is truly the first, you know, real sustained breakthrough uh, on the professional level for women in sports in this country. And, you know, I think a lot of people can point to to this period of time and, and this particular league as 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 the germ of much of what has come since. I, I you know, I'm sure it's a it's an indirect and and messy sort of lineage, right? But but there are, frankly, very strong kernels of uh of things like Title IX and and you know the success of the of the US national women's soccer team, which finally the the, the the men well not finally I think the men have always been behind them in terms of like equal pay and and all these kinds of things that you know uh, the, the the success we've talked about with uh, Molly Kasmer who was one of the uh, pioneers of the women's basketball league back in the late seventies and now what's what's be- become from that of the WNBA you know still struggling and it's not you know it's not hugely remunerative and making a ton of money for people, but, but it's been around for 20 some odd years. I mean, that, that's a, that's a huge, you know, step forward. And then some from where, where things have been. So I guess my question to you, there is a question (laughs) (laughs) while these women, you know, are absolutely have to be seen as, as pioneers on a number of different fronts. 
It, it also feels to me, and, and some of this comes through very much in, in the pages of your book, it also seems like they were having a hell of a lot of fun, too. <laughs> yeah, they still are, <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, I, it just I get I get the sense that there are there are probably worse ways to pioneer things. <laughs> uh, yeah. baseball professionally. In the United States. Yeah, and there are a lot worse stories of women pioneering to have to write about and illustrate. That's for sure. Um, yeah, you know, um, it's it's to touch on the the growth of women's sports that you're talking about. I think. Um, part of the sort of sense of duty and purpose of creating this book and then also the fun is that the development and the growth and the any if anything's going to happen or grow or become anything I personally this is just my take on it but I think the most important element of that is just the knowledge of possibility because I mean sadly uh, you know, Kobe Bryant and his daughter uh, passing away recently, but seeing because of that, I was seeing videos of his daughter playing and I thought she was going to be, I mean, she was going to bring a whole new level to women's basketball, I think at some point. And it's a shame to have lost that. But the point is seeing that happen and grow and bubble um, and having people provide opportunities, of course, or getting breaks or having to work for an opportunity and then getting it. But the point is just seeing the possibility, knowing the possibility where, um, you know, I think the WNBA may be struggling because it's just in, it was just conceived of not that long ago, but um, having young girls today who, who it's just, it's there. It's not even like, I wonder if there will be professional women's basketball. Yeah, it's struggling, but they see it and it's, they know it's there and they can see it whenever they want and they have heroes and they know it's possible. And when you plant that seed of possibility so early on, it just eliminates that whole wall or, or worry of impossibility. And then you just don't even have to worry about that. And you could just go for it. And you never even wonder if it's worth your time or worth your efforts or worth your, or worth channeling your skills or your focus, because it's just there and it's possible. And that's a channel and you can, you can do it. Um, so that being said, I think that's, you know, part of the reason why these women had so much damn fun. It was completely impossible. It was like someone waving a magic wand and saying, okay, your, your dreams are now possible. A lot of these women, it was like, they grew up just like a lot of little boys fantasize about like, you know, one day I'm going to be Mickey Mantle and I'm going to, you know, um, they just, it, it was a lot of these women's dreams as, as a young girl, uh, to play professional baseball. And some of them even verbalized that and were just met with like, okay, honey, you know, a pat on the head or being laughed at, or, you know, there's no such thing. Right. And, they just kind of like went on to do other things because it was just completely impossible. And then all of a sudden, like overnight, it was not only possible, but they were doing it. And so I think they really did a great job of living in the moment and soaking it in and not letting something like uh, having to wear a skirt or, or lipstick uh, get in the way because it was like, I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to pass this up, you know? And, um, they have the greatest stories. They get each other laughing. I mean, the reunions I've been to, it's just such a privilege to even be in the room and witness uh, witness their relationship with one another and the stories they have and the camaraderie they still have. Um, it's kind of like time has never 
past when you see them together, uh, which is really fun. So, uh, yeah, I think that just that possibility for them, uh, made it a lot of fun. I'm sure I, I can't even imagine. I mean, particularly when women were not really, uh, like leaving home or, you know, uh, you're just kind of working on the farm or staying, you know, living at home. So what an adventure that must have been. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun now. I mean, sadly, uh, a lot of them are, are getting older and uh, several of the women I've interviewed have passed away since I've interviewed them. Um, so their stories are, are getting fewer and farther between, but thankfully, uh, with the movie and the awareness of them, a lot of their stories were recorded. I, you know, my book is not the first to, to take note of their stories, but it's great that we have record of them and that they've shared some of them because they're really, really great stories. Look, we're living in an era and, I, and now I'm starting to feel old too, but I mean, and I listen to a bunch of podcasts, uh, Gilbert Gottfried in particular, and, and they talk about old show business stories and all that kind of stuff. And they were oh, fun. They were lamenting a couple of weeks ago the fact that that not only do pe- not people re- remember like who Johnny Carson was, they don't even remember oh. now who David Letterman was or is. Oh my God! Exactly. That so is I mean, so painful to me. Well, it, it, me too. But it but it does speak to. I mean, we're talking about a movie that came out in the '90s, right? So there, right? There's a there's maybe a passing understanding of that film, uh, or yeah, of it, right? So you know, these these are this is an important story, and 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 God forbid that this is a, a, an excuse for people to discover it or rediscover it, and I yeah, wish good luck with it. Well, thank you. And you know, you're right there. So that's one reason why I know you're calling it your silly podcast, but I think it's wonderful. And I love that you're doing it because in baseball, and I guess, you know, you could say entertainment or Hollywood or something like Johnny Carson. um, These are things that, I mean, not only are they just so enriching and wonderful and entertaining, but uh, I think that these stories and sort of the history of it and the, and the golden ages of these things, not only um, are such a part of American identity as, as it was developed, but they were a huge part of, of identity in general. There was a time when baseball was literally the common language. Like, you, you know, no matter where you came from or if you were an immigrant, there's so many stories about coming to America as an immigrant. And, like, if you wanted to communicate with people, you learn baseball. and Or, you know, people would talk about it when they saw each other at the butcher or – um, there's like stories even of men coming across, you know, guys sitting in Jeeps during World War II. And it was like, they'd be skeptical of one another. And the only way you really knew is like, you know, how's the home run race going between, you know, they, they would talk baseball. It's like, okay, you're okay. You're legit. You're not, um, you're not going to shoot me. It's like, it's, that's extreme. But I think those things are so important to hold on to because as we move into like, money and statistics and, and all the parts of baseball that I, they are interesting and they're interesting to a lot of people and they're, they're more interesting to other people than myself. But to me, that is not the heart and soul of what makes it the national pastime. All right. Our thanks to Anika. Fantastic conversation and an awesome book. Please, by all means, run, don't walk and get yourself a copy of The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. 
It's fantastic. You will enjoy it thoroughly. I don't care if you're young or old, a male, a female, interested in baseball or not. Uh, it's a fantastically done book. And um, you will see some some visuals that we will do on our social media this week, as well as on our website, of course, at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Just search up this episode with Anika Orak and you will find uh, some examples of such. You will also find a convenient link to the book on Amazon. If you're listening to uh, this show on uh, the week that we drop this episode on March 3rd, the uh, Kindle version is available to you now. Uh, through that link. It is uh, published by uh, Chronicle Books in San Francisco. If you're listening to this episode, uh, March 10th and beyond, uh, and we do have a lot of folks that like to listen to these uh, episodes uh, out of pattern or, or perhaps uh, sort of in a uh, in an archive kind of way as they discover the show and they go deep, uh, that book then now is available to you also in hard copy version for you right this moment. Also at Amazon.com. And again, you'll find a link to that from our website at GoodSeatStillAvailable.com or wherever good books are found. If you want to buy it through your independent bookstore uh, or you want to go on the Chronicle Books uh, website or whatever, however you get a copy, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, It certainly matters to Anika. And uh, we encourage you to get a copy because it's just that damn good. We know you'll enjoy it. And uh, please, indeed, if you do uh, purchase a copy and, uh, and you do love it as much as we have, uh, please let us know, and uh, I'm sure Anika would uh, be tickled pink to know uh, that you enjoyed it as well. And you can you can contact her directly if you'd like. You can follow her uh, on her website. It's AnikaOrak.com. I'll spell it for you. It's A-N-I-K-A-Orak, O-R-R-O-C-K, AnikaOrak.com. Uh, you can follow her on social media, of course. You'll find her on Instagram at Anika Drawls. That's A-N-I-K-A-D-R-A-W-L-S. It's also the same handle on Twitter, Anika Drawls, at Anika Drawls. And uh, on Facebook, you'll find her at facebook.com slash art of Anika. And let's see. I know know she'll be doing some promotion. Uh, I think she mentioned uh, that she'll be uh, at the uh, New York Yankees game in New York City on May 5th. I think that's in conjunction with some All-American Girls Professional Baseball League reunion type stuff. I know there's a reunion coming up in Chicago uh, at some point during the summer. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of other things, but uh, I'm sure you'll find her uh, and uh, copies of the book floating around as uh, the promotion uh, starts to kick in. And we're happy to to be part of that mix for sure. Let's see what else. We also want to encourage you one year on our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com, not only to... Uh, relive and enjoy this episode and see all the great imagery that we've uh, conjured up uh, to promote it, but also all of our other episodes, 150 some odd shows and interviews we've done already. Jeez, it's almost three years now. Uh, they're all there for you. And uh, if you want to you know, download them or share them with your friends or whatever, by all means, they're, they're right there and uh, you can enjoy each and every one of them at your leisure. And uh, please enjoy. And of course, you'll find our social media uh, feeds and all that kind of stuff there too. But if you want to just get those directly, that's uh, on Twitter. You'll find us at Good Seat Still. On Instagram, you'll find us at Good Seat Still available. Uh, you'll find a little page devoted to us on uh, Facebook as well. Uh, let's see. You'll find uh, a link on our website to our weekly newsletter. If you want to get that, just sign up there. And of course, if you want to send us some email, you can do that too. It's, we're at hello at goodseatsstill.com available.com our thanks of course to our pal jerry payne and jerry payne productions for editing all of our stuff and making us sound like we're somewhat intelligent 
And uh, let's see. I guess that's it for this week. But before we leave you, we're going to, of course, try to, you know, keep you sort of uh, in the mood of, uh, of, of women's baseball. And we're going to, of course, uh, go back to perhaps the seminal uh, movie that kind of introduced uh, and, and reminded people, for those who forgot, uh, that this league actually existed, this All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. And of course, that was the uh, the film from the early 90s, uh, A League of Their Own, which we kind of referenced, I'm sure, a couple of times uh, in our conversation with Anika. And I think most people remember from the movie uh, during the closing credits, the Madonna hit song. I think it went to number one, as a matter of fact. This used to be my playground, I believe it was called. But of course, because of a contractual snit, uh, it was not even on the soundtrack and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people left a, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths because it was a, a great song and it, it was well positioned in that film, but uh, it wasn't on the soundtrack and, and you couldn't have that as part of the album. So that kind of didn't make any sense. But uh, arguably, and maybe not so arguably, the uh, the better song, frankly, was this one that we're going to leave you with. And that's the Carol King penned and sung song, Now and Forever. It's a, it's a beautiful tune uh, and I think encapsulates uh, the, uh, the entire sort of zeitgeist of the not only the movie, but certainly the women behind this league. And uh, we leave you now with Carol King from the soundtrack, the actual soundtrack of A League of Their Own, now and forever. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. <laughs>